Well, hello. Well, welcome to another episode of The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And that's just us, film geeks. <laughs> Hi, welcome to episode 47 of The Film File, your favourite podcast. And if it's not your favourite podcast, then why not? We need to know. Of course, I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Beacon. And we're back with another packed show. Yes, of course, we'll have the news. We've got some reviews. We're telling you what's happening in the world of streaming. But first, Andy, how you been? Yeah, well, um, with the recent news of the tier system, you can imagine that it's knocked me a blow. You remember last episode, I was so excited at the possibility of returning to work. I'm so surprised that, um, I'm not so much surprised that we're back into tier three over this part of the world, but I'm surprised that they, they've closed cinemas. Yep. Cinemas and entertainment venues have all closed. Uh, gyms are allowed to open but can't run classes, etc., etc. Whilst at the same time, all schools are open and I'm still getting daily alerts from our school saying that another outbreak has been discovered there. So whilst schools are open and they are definitely a breeding ground, cinemas which have had no, and I repeat, no instances of an outbreak being originating from there are closed. I don't Just at the t- literally a couple of days after Warner Brothers said, hey, we're going to give you Wonder Woman after all. You're going to love it. it. This will give you your Christmas. And Christmas being one of the best times of the year for cinemas. And it's been pulled away from us. The north of England pretty much closed. And Kent, for some reason. Although I reckon Kent is because all the people who work and leisure in London city centre tend to live just outside London. Yeah, that's right. And so all their cases will have been, oh, well, the, um, Kent is a breeding ground. No, the breeding ground is central London. Just because they've gone back to camp doesn't mean that the zombies who bit them in London are safe. Anyway. Anyway. No, <laughs> you understand your rant. And uh, it's perfectly valid. It seems as though us folks up in the north have taken a bit of a kicking. Unnecessarily so. Yeah. Uh, Manchester certainly feels as though yep. it's, uh, it's, been, it's been punished for, for daring to be northern. Yeah, it's very, very disappointing. I thought we'd be back into cinemas. I, I thought we'd be still in lockdown. I thought cinemas would be open. Um, as cinemas were doing so well, so very well to keep it to keep it safe and, and, and worked overtime. And, and uh, I didn't feel for one um, in a cinema that, that, that my chances are doubled. Uh, as I said to you, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching at the moment. I'm teaching film studies. Which I'm enjoying and loving, but I'm in a in probably my chances of catching COVID have now tripled, quadrupled due to being yeah. in that sort of environment. And that's nothing to do with the way that the college has run. It's the fact that I'm in that kind of a, an environment. But we are where we are, and it's just so disappointing. But we're not. We're not going to dwell on 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 the on the bad times. Let's think about what we love, and that's our. That's our film news. And there's only one person who can bring you the film news. And that's Andy Meakin in a segment we call The Film News. <laughs> we still need a better title. So I'm going to start with my man crush, Ryan Reynolds, who has shared the first pictures from The Adam Project, which is his new sci-fi film with director Sean Levy. Right. Uh, this is the film where he plays a man who goes backwards in time to unite with a 13-year-old version of himself to seek out their father, a physicist played by Mark Ruffalo. The film sees Catherine Keener as the villain of the tale, 
as well as Jennifer Garner's in there, Zoe Saldina, Alex Malari Jr., and the newcomer, Walker Scoble. Okay. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is in it. I'm on board. Sean Levy's behind it. I'm on board. And I'm loving the names that are thrown out there. And it's a sci-fi time travel concept. Come on. This is up our alley. And as we said last week, we do love our time travel. One question, though, for you, Andy. And I've noticed this this pick um, over Twitter over the last few days. And that's uh, Ryan Reynolds basically dressed up as Tin Korean legend. Have you seen that? <laughs> I've seen the pick. I have no idea what the what the whole reason for it is. But, okay. you know, um, I, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds has been doing so many different things recently that I don't know what's going on. Like, let's just talk about the football team again. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Who knows? Um, I'm sure that we'll have some more idea of what what his dress-up was okay. at some point. But he's a busy man. He's he's just got his finger in so many different pies at this point in time. He is, he is. And, and they've announced, as we said last week, they brought the writers on for Deadpool 3. So yes. that's that's going to be on his uh, on his in tray for stuff to do next year. Yep. Um, and segueing away from the Marvel aspect of uh, Deadpool three there into the Hawkeye TV series. Yes. Now I saw this, and there's been a little bit of footage crept its way online, and I think we're probably talking about a cast edition that has been a, a rumor for so long. Yeah, which Disney have still not actually confirmed. But seems though she's now been spotted on set alongside Jeremy Renner, who's playing Hawkeye, obviously, and also a dog who people who know the comic books know is Lucky the Pizza Dog, um, Haley Steinfeld, uh, who every report that I've seen this in has referred to as being from Pitch Perfect and Edge of Seventeen. Uh, I'd have gone for Bumblebee and True Grit, to be honest with you. Yes, I mean she's fantastic in True Grit. I'm looking forward to seeing Bumblebee. Actually, it's coming up on uh, on streaming very soon. Oh, it's a joy! It's an absolute joy, and she is marvelous in it. And that's the perfect film to compare her being in a Marvel action series with Bumblebee because it's the same kind of like comic book concept, fantasy adventure. Uh, but yeah, she's been they've been spotted on set. Uh, filming some of the shooting that has been running over the past week. So, fingers crossed this is going to turn out nice. I think she's a great bit of casting as uh, Kate Bishop, who is the one who gets mentored by Clint Barton to become the new Hawkeye. It, if you think the mask of Zorro and yeah. how the original Zorro coaches a new Zorro to take his place, that's what the series is going to be. And it's Marvel. based on the uh, Matt Fraction, David Ager run, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of my favourite runs on comics ever. And, yes, and he set the style for how Hawkeye has become this cool character now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's always been like a kind of he's, he's always been the the lesser of the Avengers, even in the comics through the years. Mm. He's always been that. Oh, look at him! Oh, he's got his bow and arrow ready. Oh, um, but that th- the whole writing of that series of the comic books really brought it up to date and matured it and made it actually there's more to this character than just the guy with the arrows. Yeah. So. I can't wait to see what the service does, even if it is on my most hated network. Let's move on to Doug Lyman before I go on to a Disney rant. Okay, I've got some Disney ranting for you, but go on to Doug Lyman first. Yeah, I want to calm myself down a bit. Uh, you remember a couple of months ago when we were talking about the heist movie that he was setting up to film during lockdown? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of went very, very quiet. Yeah, well, um, I mean, yeah, this is the movie that has such a lineup of casters Anne Hathaway, Ben Stiller, Chewy Telegier 4, Mindy Kaling, uh, Ben Kingsley, and Stephen Merchant. And it's called Lockdown. Well, Warner Brothers have apparently snapped it up for a HBO Max exclusive release. What that means for international? Well, 
from past records, we can generally guess that it's going to get a limited cinematic release in international waters. seems that we don't have HBO right. Max. Okay. Uh, but they've picked it up and really want to put a lot of effort behind making it a big thing at the start of next year. I, I think that this is uh, where Warner Brothers are going nowadays. They're snapping up a lot of things because there's the rumours that they're also p- trying to pick up Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, I'd heard that. And um, uh, I got a couple of things from my man in the know, uh, pitched deep somewhere in the Hollywood Hills, feeding me information. Almost, if, if you imagine meeting around the back of a bike shed and being given an envelope <laughs> full of a stash full of information, that's the equivalent of it. So I've got a couple of uh, man in the know stories. But... One of those is uh, the Godzilla King Kong going straight to HBO Max. Yeah, I mean, there's speculation today that there's quite a lot of the future Warner Brothers films that they're they're basically going to be looking to see how Wonder Woman performs for them on the service. And they'll make the decision. Now, whereas Disney did this with Mulan, it didn't pay off for them. Disney made the mistake of going, it's only on our service. We don't give it cinemas. Whereas Warners are doing the optional favourites approach of... Okay, we're releasing it on HBO Max. Internationally, you're all getting it at the cinemas. And any cinemas within US territory who want to show it, you can have it. And I think that's the way that it should be. Okay. So Keep it's all right. down to how it how it performs over this test period. But God, Godzilla versus Kong is the next one rumoured to be seeking that service. So go on. Upset me with the Disney, Disney news. I'm going to queue rant at this stage. And uh, the queue is that my man in the know is telling me that Disney are going to be solely focusing on their streaming services from now on. We'd heard rumors, and it's still just, uh, I must point out, hearsay, but but well, well-informed hearsay that, that they are really thinking altogether about dropping, dropping cinema to focus on, on Disney+. Plus. Now, adding into that, the deal that Marvel has with Disney is they retain creative rights to their their movies and and the universe so if you think about it the sense of a department store that there are all these little franchise deals in in one big department store uh, and which marvel is one alongside pixar now marvel might choose to say we still want to re- release our films cinematically and and uh, don't have to work by that the same with lucasfilm they don't have to go to disney plus they will do at some point because that'll be part of the deal, but they can they can suggest, and I can imagine Kevin Feige doing this because he knows that they are event films and, and will push for Marvel's releases to be cinematic yeah. while all the time they're starting a, a whole new franchise on, on, on Disney Plus with the uh, TV shows like Hawkeye that we should just mention. I, I don't want to lose the Marvel event films, any of the Marvel films from the big screen. If everything does end up going Disney Plus, then I'm sorry, that's it for Marvel for me. I'll just stick to the comics because I refuse to support the death of cinema, which is how I see it. Is if Disney keep pushing that all of their releases go straight onto their streaming service, they just don't care about cinema anymore. Okay. So while I don't care about Disney anymore, it'd be a shame to see Pixar films just get buried on the service as well. I yeah, think you know, I agree. part of the magic of taking the family to just sit in that darkened screen. And you know, it, it Pixar films are a great introduction for kids to films on the big yeah. screen. Great introduction to cinema. Take that away. Take all your, your Frozens as well. Take them away. And what have you got? Now, I, I, I think it's the wrong move. I think that they should be doing what Warners are doing and still supporting cinemas whilst also utilizing their streaming service for people who want it. 
But like you say, it's still all rumours at the moment. It's still like industry gossip. Let's see how the next year goes, because I think most of this past year we need to just write off. I, I agree. The experimentation should be written off. It's next year. Now that the antivirus is going to be circulating around, next year is going to change the scenery. I I am usually the more optimistic out of the out of the two of us, but I I have a feeling that we are living in the twilight of of cinema showings. I really do, and uh, uh, that makes me very sad indeed. But also, everything is dominated by money, and if people want to, as soon as things don't start to hit on those streaming channels, like Mulan, uh, and not making the books that they they anticipated then they will instantly revert back to cinema screenings. Yeah. Okay, I've got a little bit of news. Aubrey Plaza, who I once had a crush on, but she never knew that, unless she (laughs) listens to this show, is joining Jason Statham in Guy Ritchie's new film. And it looks like, again, that we are going down the Guy Ritchie governor movies. Is that is that an actually a thing? Is it like the Cornettos? Is it is it governor, or have I just made that? I think you just made that one. I up. just made that one. Up. I, and I know what been... you mean. You, you mean like the Lockstock, the Snatchers, the Gentlemen, the yeah. like the Cockney Geezers underworld. That's it. I've just created a term. Please feel free to use it. Um, <laughs> and this is going to be called Five Eyes. This movie has been written by the Gentlemen's Ivan Atkinson and Mar Davis, uh, who and Richie has ever contributed to revision. So we shall see that soon. But it basically finds Stratham as a tough MI6 agent who is recruited by a global intelligence alliance to track down and stop the sale of a deadly new weapon technology that threatens to disrupt the world order. Of course it does. There's no point in running down the world trying to stop nuclear weapons if it doesn't threaten the, the world order. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Exactly. Here's some superhero news that I bet you didn't see coming. So the Toxic Avenger is coming back. Yeah, I saw this mentioned. Um, I, I know the casting. Go on. Peter Dinklage is going to be playing Toxie. Now, for those who don't know the Toxic Avenger, it was uh, one of the trauma. It was one of the basic showpieces of the trauma, low budget comedy film world. And the film saw an everyman who was pushed into a vat of toxic waste and transformed into a mutant freak who goes from shunned freak to underdog hero battling the forces of greed and corruption. And I never latched on to all this aspect of Trova. No. I never really like got into it all, but I was completely aware of the impression that it gave. And I, I, I would have never called for another Toxic Avenger film. <laughs> No, and if you remember, there was a TV uh, cartoon series. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, it was popular. Never got it. I'm, I once pitched to Trauma. I once had a pitch meeting with them, came in with the script, and they went, oh, it's far too good for us. <laughs> so uh, whether they're still going to be going for the daft comedy approach and the complete generic vat of toxic waste transformed into mutants idea, or whether they're going to re- redesign it from reboot it for a new age, who knows? But Peter Dinklage, why not? I'll give Peter Dinklage all the time because he's in one of my favourite films, which is The uh, Station Agent. I have still not seen The Station oh, Agent. Oh, you should put it on your list. It, it, it probably is somewhere. Um, on another, I never saw this one coming, is Clifford the Big, Big Red Dog. Yeah, apparently there's a trailer out. <laughs> yes, and it's been causing quite a stir online from fans of the cartoon who, let's be honest, 
are now bloody adults and need to accept that this film is not made for them. <laughs> the trailer has upset so many people online who are like, it's disturbing. It doesn't look like Clifford. It's it's designed for kids and it's a big dog that is painted red. It's right. a real dog that they've like CGI'd like a red tint across this whole thing. So it's a big red dog. What more and, do you need from and a the title? Adults are crying over the memories of the childhood cartoon, which was never great. I, I was subjected to this because I've got three kids, and it's never been a great cartoon. Some people just have to move on, leave the past behind. Yeah, I mean, this is not a Paddington. This is not that kind of beloved like story. This is just Clifford the Big Red Dog. But yeah, <laughs> it just shows that some people cannot put the childhood behind them and are insisting that something needs to be done, and they're hoping for a sonic kind of uh, CGI redelivery of the trailer at some point. Or I don't think it's just let happen. their kids see it and make their own judgment because they don't know. Uh, who knows? Who, who knows? Cares? We've got some... The, the next three news stories are all names that we're, all, we're both very interested in. In fact, the next four news stories. So I'm going to start with Noah Hawley. Okay. We like Noah Hawley because we oh, love yeah. Fargo and are and, anticipating and uh, the, the brand... Yeah, and, and Legion. A new series of Fargo's due uh, any day soon. Well, there's been a lot of rumours about Noah Hawley being involved in a few different projects, such as the Star Trek film and the Aliens TV series spin-off that he was working yeah, on developing. He was also lined up to do a Doctor Doom movie while it was still at Fox. Yeah. Um, however, it's been a devastating blow this week because he's revealed that both projects are effectively dead in the water. No, oh, that's a shame. The Aliens idea apparently fell by the wayside during the Disney buyout and nothing has happened since that's happened. And Trek just didn't get off the ground. He hasn't ruled out whether either project is completely dead. He's hinted that there's still chances that they might come round again. But for now, they're not on his radar, which I think is a shame. But hope, yeah, with Noah Hawley anyway, as long as he finds something else to occupy his time and deliver us some more mint material, I'll be fine. If he can get a chance to go, I would have been interested to see what he could do with an Aliens TV series. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's still a big world within that franchise to explore. Another person, Charlie Brooker. Who we do like as well. You're doing well. Two Black for two. Mirror, dead Set, Brass Eye. He's doing a mockumentary about 2020. Oh, right. I mean, I've lived it. I don't know if I need to see it. <laughs> well, that's it. We, we think that we're in a dark satire, as it is. I mean, people have compared 2020 to a new season of Black Mirror as live <laughs> action. Uh, so, But it, it kind of makes sense that he would be the person who would let's tackle the events of 2020 from that satirist point of view, because let's be honest, he's not afraid to touch any subject. Uh, well, we do know that one of the people who's going to be po popping up in this mockumentary is Hugh Grant. Oh, we do like Hugh Grant. He's going to be playing a, a historian who's being interviewed about the year. So he's going to be the, the linchpin around talking back through the events from this dark satire kind of angle. Interested to see how this comes out. Apparently it's already in production and it wouldn't surprise me with the turnaround of most of his projects if we don't see this literally at the start of next year. It would be perfect timing. What a way to start uh, 2021. And of course, if they're all doing it over Zoom meetings, it's quite easy to film. Yes, they can get I me. Mean, look how quick host on Shudder managed to get turned around. Exactly. And Alex Garland? Yeah, I've heard this news, but Fill, fill us all in. Don't so, just share it with just me and you. Let's tell the world. Alex Garland is prepping his next film, which is a low-budget horror, which is going to be set in the UK, which he has written and is going to direct. There's no details on the story as of yet, but given the track record of Alex Garland with things like Ex Machina and Annihilation, this is definitely one 
that I'm going to be keeping an eye on for. His career really did take off. If you think about it, he started as a novelist. Yeah. Uh, then The Beach landed for him, which was a massive book and, and, a, and an okay-ish movie. And then his relationship with, uh, with Danny Boyle just created this, this dynamic career. Yeah, and, and yeah, his last few projects have all really delivered. So this is something they're going to keep an eye out for. Production is due to start in spring, so I imagine that we will start to get more news in the coming weeks as uh, this ramps up. And finally, for the people who, wow, these are people who we like, the Russos. Okay. Yeah, we, we're always interested in what the Russos are doing. So whilst I've not seen it, I know that you've seen it and you quite enjoyed it. Extraction on Netflix. I did. I did indeed. And it, it was the start of, of really another franchise for uh, Chris Hemsworth. And, and it is such a great looking action movie. Well, good news for you is, and I'll quote Joe Russo here. Yeah, we're still working on number two. We're in the script phase right now. We're hoping to shoot that sometime next year. And then, you know, say I'm super excited. Hemsworth, super, super excited. Netflix is excited. So it's really just a function of getting the script done. So there's your confirmation that Extraction is getting a sequel. Another reason to keep my Netflix subscription. Apparently, they've got another film that they've produced out on Netflix at the moment called Mosul, which I've, uh, I've tagged but not had a chance to see yet. Well, I've got a couple of pieces of news just to close things off with. Uh, one of my favourite films, as you know, was La La Land, and I think director Damien Chazelle is just a genius. He was looking to repair with Oscar winner Emma Stone um, alongside Brad Pitt for his next film, Babylon. Unfortunately, um, pesky scheduling and all that, Emma Stone is out and Margot Robbie is in. Early talk to replace her. Oh, I've got a lot of time for Margot Robbie. Yeah, she's, uh, she's not only um, fantastic at what she does, she, she has that, I'm going to say that Australian sense of humour that, that, um, that sort of pervades everything that she does and that, yeah. that sense of, of not taking herself far too seriously. I haven't seen Overlord which I think, again, is on Netflix, and I've got to get round to, uh, to watching it. But Julius Avery, who brought us Overlord, is directing uh, either a reboot or a new version of Van Helsing, or revamp or reboot, who knows at this stage, of <laughs> Van Helsing. So the original was Stephen Summers. Um, it was kind of pre-The Dark Universe, uh, Star Trek Jackman. Didn't really take off. was a little bit over the board. Avery's teaming up with uh, horror producer James Wan, to make a new version of Van Helsing. So we don't know what that's going to look like at this stage. But if they, they do something as clever as they did with The Invisible Man, then I'm interested. I'm, I'm quite liking this rediscovery of like classic monsters and other elements. I'm not trying to create a dark universe, just keep them all as their own individual properties. So I'm, I, I'll keep my eye out for this one and see how it goes. Yeah, because interestingly enough, I've just been looking at... Um, House of Frankenstein, which in, in all honesty, the, the, um, the 1930s version was the first ever real attempt to build a universe where you got Dracula and the Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster all together. And that was where the dark universe wanted to go. But they forgot that they were horror movies. Yep. And rounding off the news, uh, we can't round off the news without mentioning two sad losses this week for people who are fans of sci-fi, fantasy and genre entertainment. First of all, Hugh Keysburn, who was memorable as the characters Toe Cutter and Immortan Joe in the Mad Max films, passed away age 73. Yeah, I just saw that one. The, the big blow this week was the loss of David Prowse. Yeah, now David Prowse is... For for us Brits, is is a is a major part of our growing up because he 
he, he came to light as, as the Green Cross Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, back in the day, um, also in uh, playing the Frankenstein's monster in in Hammer films, but of course, it's synonymous with Star Wars. Yeah, he he was the character of Darth Vader, even though he wasn't the voice. He didn't find out he wasn't the voice until the film was actually getting released. To which he was quite miffed about, I believe. Yeah, uh, he's kind of... But despite the fact that he was miffed about that, he still remained the consummate professional and loved the role. And he's always been one of the people who, at conventions, whenever he's turned up, he has been so grateful to the fans and he's been a true ambassador for the franchise, regardless of what his own disagreements and upsets were during the making of it. Well, he passed away age 85. And like you say, for people in Britain... He wasn't just Darth Vader. He was the Green Cross Code Man. He was the British bodybuilder who was everywhere. He would be on small roles on film and TV, such as in Jabberwocky, Clockwork Orange, Up Pompeii, Tomorrow People, The Saint, Doctor Who. You'd see him everywhere in the UK. And he was also the guy who was Superman's trainer. I was just about to mention that. Don't forget that he, he trained Christopher Reeve um, to look like Superman. To bulk himself up. He was an absolute legend. Any interviews that you can see with him, you can see how much he loved every part of the work that he did. And it's a sad loss. It's, yeah. it's another, another, another one has joined the force and uh, he will be missed. Indeed. And that's it for the news. Well, we hope you're enjoying this week's show. And if you enjoyed it, please hit that subscribe button. And remember, please leave a review on whichever streaming service you're finding us because, well, why not? If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at... Twitter, at Filmfile UK. And you can find us on Instagram as well, just to see what we look like if you've never met us. And trust me, you'll be surprised, ladies. <laughs> okay, so over the last couple of weeks, uh, Andy has been trawling through the films that he's missed. In this section of the programme, we still can't find a name for. So we're going along with the films that Andy has missed, which are Oscar classics, and there's no excuse. Okay, so last week, I set the year 1967, and the film that, that Andy had missed from that year was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? A comedy drama, is it? We'll discuss. Produced and directed by Stanley Kramer, written by William Rose, and starred Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Catherine Horton, and of course, the fantastic Sidney Poitier. I made a decision. Joanna doesn't know about it. I don't see any reason why she should. What is it, Doctor? Joanna thinks she's committed and that our whole future is settled, but there is no real commitment. And up to now, nothing is settled at all. I don't understand that. Joanna said you're going to be married no matter what we might think about it. Well, that's not the case. Unless you two approve, and without any reservations at all, there won't be any marriage. So the film was controversial at its time. It was one of the first few films to depict uh, an interracial marriage in a positive light. Uh, an interracial marriage historically had been, well, well, unbelievably illegal in most states in the US. At the time of filming, it was still illegal in 17 states, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So this film was, was incredibly radical for its time. Uh, Poitier was one of the few black stars who, who was breaking through. And this was uh, a, a strong film. Uh, it did incredibly well and, in fact, had a, had a remake. But it's one of those films that it can definitely be seen as a game changer. So, Andy, let me know. What did you think of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And please discuss. Did you think it was a comedy or just a drama? 
Well, given that the remake of recent years with Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac pretty much tried to edge toward the more farcical kind of humour, my expectations of this so-called revered comedy were a bit tainted. However, what I found wasn't really a comedy as such. It was, it, it was gently amusing at times, but mostly it was a charmingly engaging drama with a great deal of heart. It's a, it feels like a stage play. It is very stagey. It, it, it is ridiculously stagey. It's, it's not more than, than just room settings, is it, all the way through? Yeah, it's, it, but it lends well to the scenario. You're basically watching the events of the discussions after the, like, the short introduction as they're getting towards the house. Everything seems to be done more or less in real time. And so you are part of that dinner party as, you know, the, <laughs> the, the Joanna, the girl, brings home her secret love, who she hasn't told anyone about, who happens to be a black man, played by Poitiers. Yeah. And then when his parents, who don't know that she's white, decide to invite themselves across for dinner at the same time, it causes the conflicts of interracial relationships and how both sides see it. Now, the clever thing in this film is that Poitiers' character is deliberately shown to be perfect. Dr. Yes, John Prentice is practically perfect in every way, more than Mary Poppins is. And so yeah. the only reason that anyone could object to them being together is through their race. And also there was a point, if I remember, that he didn't want to have sex before marriage. Is... Yep. Everything is... Pe- he's not He's not in the relationship for any... He, he's not after her money, even though she comes from wealth, because he's, he's actually built wealth himself. He's well-educated. He's well-respected in his field. He's had articles published. He's very honourable. He has been married, but he lost his wife and child in an accident. So he's suffered through loss and managed to better his life since. Everything is like, oh, wow, this man is a perfect person. So the only only disagreements that anyone can have is that through race. And Spencer Tracy, in his final role on film, playing the father, he prides, his character prides himself on his liberal attitudes and the fact that he raised his daughter to be accepting of all. And yet it's him who's struggling to come to terms with her loving a black man. And that, I think, is a very clever approach because it makes us, the audience, ask ourselves to shine a light on ourselves and question if we are as unprejudiced as we really think we are. As liberal as you think that you can be, have you got those little buried, but actually I'd rather this doesn't happen. And it's, yeah. a, it's such a great film. The cast are marvellous. And all the characters are given time to integrate with each other. There's, the, the film moves from room to room as people go through and talk to someone else. So everyone gets a chance to interact with each other person on a one-to-one level. So you get the opposing viewpoints, you get the people who are for the relationship, you get the people who are against the relationship, and you see all the arguments before it comes to the, the monologue climax at the end. But what great casting. Yeah. It was, as you said, it was uh, Spencer Tracy's last film. He was very ill during the making of the film and they had to shoot around his illness. He could only shoot for a few hours a day. Yeah, um, Hepburn and Tracy, who paired up quite often um, over the years, and this was their very final pairing. And you could see the love between them in this film. And the, the monologue scene at the end when he's delivering his whole thoughts on everything that's happened that day and summing up his whole thoughts and feelings and whether he thinks that this relationship should go forward. You see Hepburn at the side with tears in her eyes and you realise that this isn't just her in character. This is her watching someone who she genuinely loved and genuinely adored and worked with so many times. Yeah. Basically giving his last performance. 
And it adds a whole lot to the whole film. There's a, so much emotion within the film from what was happening behind the scenes and what you actually see within the story. And it gels together. You've got Catherine Horton in there as Joanna, which uh, she's the niece of Hepburn. Yes. And it was Hepburn who campaigned for her to be a part of it because the family resemblance for a start yeah. would make it more believable. Everyone is marvellous. And I need to give a quick mention out to Cecil Kellaway as the Monsignor who is as stereotypically <laughs> Irish as you can possibly get. But he steals every moment he's in. He brings the comedy. He yeah. brings the fun. But the rest of it is a sharp screenplay which moves characters around in such a clever way to make you question your own personal feelings before you get to the sum up at the end. Marvellous. Absolutely enjoyed it. That is the strength of the film, it is, is that you become active in, in that discussion. Um, I, was, I remember reading that Poitier felt he was under a lot of close observation because he was a, he was a black man uh, in a in a country that was still ideology was that was it was a racist country and there was a lot yeah. playing on that as well as playing up against two two stars as 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 Tracy and Hepburn I did I did read that when it came to facing up against two big stars he actually shot a lot of his scenes to empty empty chairs because he was so intimidated by their presence that when it was something that they could just focus the camera on him and then do reaction shots, he just asked if he could just do it to an empty set. That's interesting. I mean, they, they were huge. Um, you know, despite the film coming out in, in, in 1968, when, when the, throughout the United States, and especially in the, in the South, and as, as they still with the South in the States, you know, the film proved to be a, a box office hit. It did very well in the South, which kind of went against went against the marketing because they expected yeah. it to be to, to be a dud down there. Uh, and it received numerous awards and nominations. And um, it's been frequently referred to as, as, a, as a breakthrough and standout film, even though it's got its, it, it's got its moments, as you say, Poitiers is far too perfect for it, but it's, it's an important film. And probably out of all the films that we've talked about, this is, this is one of those, which, which made Poitiers into the big star that he deserved to be because he, he was absolutely fantastic on it. it. It became that kind of legacy film that it, it, it can be looked back on as a game changer, as a proper game changer. It was nominated for 12 awards wow. at the Oscars and it won two, Catherine Hepburn for Actress and William Rose for the writing. Uh, two well-deserved wins there. And it, it's just a very important and significant film for its time, but also that has some relevance in today's society, sadly. Yeah. And let's just move on and not mention Guess Who, the Ashton Kutcher, uh, Bernie Mac, a very loose remake of it that came out in 2005 because to some extent that film did it a, a disservice yeah. to, to a great legacy. Okay. So, Andy, for next week... Um, Let's have a thing. Let's bring slightly up today and look at what we got. Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. Uh, directed by Ron Howard, uh, starring Russell Crowe. Um, let's hear about that next week. Fantastic. Okay, so as he said, uh, cinemas are closed. We've not had a chance to step in. But Andy in particular, and I've been a little bit laxed over the last couple of weeks, but Andy in particular has been um, hawking across all the streaming platforms to give you some reviews of what's worth seeing on Netflix, Amazon Prime, and you know what. I'm going to go back to Small Axe series by Steve McQueen. I'm, I'm recording these to do one big catch-up on them. Because this week's, 
this week's movie was absolutely five stars again. Uh, red, white, and blue. Lord, may you protect your servant, Leroy. Please keep him safe for his police training. Attention! And grant us the wisdom to accept his decision. At least this way, Dad, I can change things. Get out of my house! Out there, it is us and them. That's how it works. to be scorched. He planted something good will come of it. It's the third feature. This one's based on the true life of Leroy Logan, who during his career in the police force rose to be a trailblazing superintendent, one of the Met's top officers and chairman of the Black Police Association. He was a prominent name around the Stephen Lawrence inquiry and the inquiry into the killing of Damiola Taylor. This film looks at his reasons for joining the force in the early 80s, stepping away from the lab work that his degree suggested after his father is assaulted by police officers. He believes he can change the force from within and he makes a mark in training and is placed in a station where he begins to find the attitudes that taint the police force are playing out. At the same time, he finds that his own community starts to turn away from him because he's now seen as a coconut or an Oreo. With the pressures from inside and outside of the force against him, these early times in his service are explored. John Boyega plays Leroy Logan. And it's quite easy to dismiss John Boyega for his big screen outings. You know, he didn't get a chance to really shine in the Star Wars films. Not really, no. And, he was, and that was part of his argument, I think, wasn't it, with that? Yeah, and, and he's kind of been buried in the background of a few other films that he's been in around that time. But in this, he's front and centre, he's stoically present, and he delivers. But once again, it's the direction of McQueen here, which really shines. His choices of scene direction, not always showing the key focus of the scene until we've really taken it in, such as Boyega's response to the injuries of his father after the attack. You don't see his father, you just see his response before it finishes the scene, panning across to show the injuries. Or racist scrawl that is on his locker that you don't see until the end of the scene. This choice to let us linger on the reaction rather than shock is with the cause, makes the style of storytelling so much more compelling and interesting. And again, we have great single take shots. There's a scene where he's chasing down a suspect through an industrial park. There is a single take shot and you're just engrossed. And it's so perfectly framed, so beautifully shot. Absolutely marvellous. This makes it three for three with this series so far. And How many is left in the series, Andy? Two more to go. And this this is just possibly the pinnacle of British film this year. Excellent. Okay, well, mine's uh, a film that came out last year and was released last year. And I did watch it, uh, a Christmas film, Christmas, Christmas animated film, uh, and I didn't pay the attention that it, that it duly deserved. Uh, I went back to it at the weekend uh, and realised what a, what a great film it is. Um, it was a, probably a great film the first time. I just, <laughs> that was about me not watching it properly. And this is Klaus. Um, hello? Jesper Johansson, postman. Oh, uh, Mr. Klaus, you have a gift. You were meant for making toys. So I figured if you donate your old toys, 
I'll deliver them for free. Tonight, I go with you. There's no need for you to come with me, really. Tonight, then. You're too far, you're gone. Hey, what do you guys think you're doing? This is Smearinsburg, the unhappiest place on Earth. And you two can't change that. The postman and toy maker are brainwashing everyone! We need to show people that a true selfless act always sparks another. Hi, what's happening right now? Oh, no. Holy mother! What happened? Not a word. You just sit there. Be all magical and awesome. Jesper, ah! we're doing it. Let's go. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Really? That's how you laugh? We're running out of time. Those kids are counting on us. If we don't stop them tonight, this town will never be the same. Destroy those toys. No, 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 no. No. Ah! Ha! Eat our snow, you... They're not attached. Why aren't they attached? I thought they were attached. I would never in a million years have done what I just did if I didn't think these were attached. Always It's coming on Netflix for the Christmas season. It's an English-language, Spanish uh, Christmas animated film. I know, that's already got your head reeling. <laughs> Stay with me. So the, the plot is is uh, Jesper Johansson, uh, voiced by J, uh, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, he's, he's a lazy, spoiled kid. He's a, a bit of a brat to the uh, Postmaster Royal General. Uh, he's, he's basically, because he's the son of, of, of wealth, he kind of he sits back and relaxes and lets everything basically flow over him and his father gives him a task that he has to uh, post 6,000 letters within a year or will be cut off from his family fortune and he's sent to the distant town of Smeesenberg which is, is caught up in a, a, a basically an internal feud where half the town hates each other and, and they're constantly battling it out. What makes this film so good is is the fact that uh, the director, Sergio Bablos, who'd worked for Disney uh, on Aladdin, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Tarzan, decided to develop uh, um, a new animation company and based himself in his, in his own country of Madrid in Spain and went back to traditional animation. Uh, he really wanted to explore the medium um, and how animation had evolved. The film looks absolutely gorgeous. It's got lighting and texture. It's a combination of uh, traditional animation uh, and um, uh, computer-generated uh, imagery. It just feels scrumptious. It's got real heart. And it goes against some of the, the kind of traditional um, Christmas stories. It's not, a, it's not 
a familiar story. It really rechanges the origin and events its own um, its own origin story for for uh, Father Christmas or Santa Claus about a guy who gives out toys to this town that brings it together. So it, it avoids some of those those cliches that you get in a Christmas film in, in favor of a start from scratch story. It's beautifully told. It's witty. It's funny. It has a real heart to it. It's it's got some great voice casting, including one of my favorite actors. Uh, playing Klaus, the Father Christmas character, of J.K. Simmons, who is just a masterful actor. If anybody's ever seen Whiplash, you'll know how good he is. This film was so good that it was the first animated film from Netflix to be nominated for an Academy Award alongside Missing Link, which is, which is excellent. The, the, the other great French film, I Lost My Body, but it lost out to Toy Story 4. Um, I think this is the better film. Not that I dis- uh, dislike Toy Story 4, but I think this is the better film. I'm so glad that I went back to look at this alternate origin story of Santa Claus because it's well worth seeing. I, I, I got a chance to see this a couple of weeks ago, and I completely agree with everything you're saying. It is such a charmingly engaging, funny, and beautifully animated film. I love the fact that all these lore of Santa Claus comes from childhood's interpretation of small events. Yeah, yeah. And it really is, is for the Christmas year one, isn't it? Yeah, if you've not seen this film at all, I urge everyone who's not seen it to go and see it. I'm normally very much anti-Christmas sentimentality kind of films. This film surprised me immensely. Uh, and we both agree. And that's, uh, that's out on Netflix right now. I think we've got time for me to just throw in a quick mention of w- one film that I mentioned was on Shudder last week. Yeah, please do. So Shudder have been churning out a lot of new films of their own design this year, and their latest one is called Porno. You guys hear that? The science of porn is well known. The human brain, when aroused by erotic images, dumps chemicals into the bloodstream, which send the viewer into full throttle, give me more mode. No, that's right, and we may think that we're just being curious, but that will turn into an obsession. Now, this is the film that sees five teen employees at a small movie theatre in a very Christian town find an old film hidden in the basement, which, when played, unleashes a succubus. It's marked as a horror comedy, and the film does have a somewhat comical edge, even if it isn't what you'd generally class as normal comedy. And the five young stars in it are an entertaining mix of stereotypes, and the film at least spends a little time letting us get to know them before they play the fateful film reel. And then once that happens, and things get weird, you need to prepare yourself for some bloody, twisted, gruesome effects. And any guys who watch this film, get ready to wince multiple (laughs) times as genital mutilation seems to be a key thing within this film. And you've just lost me. (laughs) Does the film have a satirical message? 
Maybe it does have one about Christianity's repressions, but it must be buried really deep down there. It's more just a homage to video nasty culture and gore horror. Um, it's fun. If you like that kind of like nonsense, low-budget, gore-fest films, like your inbreds of the world, then worth checking out. The cinema setting definitely worked for me. And there was a lot of little like nods to working within a cinema environment that I got. Uh, it's worth a watch. Nowhere near the majesty of host for the channel, which I think is still one of the best things that they've put out completely. But it's still, even though it's only an average film, it's nice to see Shudder continuing to support low-budget horror ideas of all kinds. Excellent. And a final mention this week is a short animation that's on Netflix that I urge everyone to see before it inevitably gets put as one of the candidates for best short animation at the Oscars this year. And that's If Anything Happens, I Love You. Okay. This 12-minute animation shows the impact of loss on a couple reflected in shadows of memories. It's moving, it's beautiful and haunting, and the title has such an impact when it worms its way into the tale. I'm not going to tell you much more. 12 minutes, set, set aside just that short bit of your life. Watch this, and if you've not got a tear in your eye by the end of it, there's something wrong with you. And that's, you say, is on, on Netflix? On Netflix. Quick roundup of... Things of note on the streaming services this week. So Sky Movies and Now TV have Doolittle and Emma coming this weekend. That's a, that's a strange double build right there. It is. It's, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued with Doolittle. I want to know if it's as bad as what the reviews say. So I will be giving this a watch and we might talk about this on the next episode. However, one film that I will be watching this week, and I'm sure you will as well, and we'll definitely talk about on next week's episode, is on Netflix. And that's Mank, which lands yeah, now this Friday. I can't Friday. wait for this. I'm really, as you know, being, being desperate to uh, to watch Mank. Well, we, was, we were going to try and get to see it in the um, We were hoping for a cinema environment. So unfortunately, we won't be able to. In preparation for watching Mank, I've re-watched, revisited Citizen Kane this past few days, which is still on BBC iPlayer for those who still need to check out that film and revisit it in preparation for Mank. Regardless of what you think of Citizen Kane, the fact that this film is set around the making of that film probably makes it important that you understand that film. Excellent. And on BBC, obviously, we've got the next Small Axe film, which is Alex Wheatle, which is the true story of Alex Wheatle and his imprisonment after the Brixton riots. And that's the key things to check out on your small screen this coming week. Excellent. OK, um, that's about it for this week. Uh, hopefully we'll be back with you uh, next week. I can start to feel that we've got some sort of Yuletide, um, um, Yuletide messages coming through. I think we should do at some point a... Uh, a deep dive into some of our favourite Christmas films of all. Oh, definitely. I, th I think I think the episode just before Christmas or the one between Christmas and New Year, we should focus purely on festive. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree aspects. more. I think we should do that. Well, at this point of the programme, we always go, what is the, um, your neat thing? What have you been watching? What have you been playing? I'm, I'm hoping you, you're going to stay away from PlayStation 5. Uh, what's your neat thing for this week, Andy? Uh, so this week, I'm going to mention Board Games Arena which I believe I've mentioned way, 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 way back in the past. But I think it's worth mentioning again because they've added a load of new board games. Now, Board Game Arena, which you can find at boardgamearena.com, is a completely free website packed with board games. Some of them are simple ones like chess, checkers, Ludo, etc. But some of them are the more elaborate tabletop games like Carcassonne, Seven Wonders, King Dominoes. Some of the games need a premium account, which is actually quite cheap to subscribe to, but only one person who hosts the game needs that premium account. 
everyone else can have a free account and join up and play. And it's a great little a great little website for playing various board games online during this lockdown period when we can't all get together. That's a great idea. What a fantastic idea. I've jumped back on it over the past couple of weeks and been testing out a few new games that have been put on there. And I'm building up a group of people to basically once a week, we have a few people drop in and we just pick a game and we just give it a shot. There's games that I've wanted to buy the full versions of, but I've not quite known whether I like them. So get to play it on here. The game does all the calculations and applies all the rules set for you. So you don't have to worry about keeping track of scores because the game will do it for you. It just allows you to immerse yourself into an online community of games. You can play against random people worldwide. You can do tournaments or you can just stick to your friends. What, what a fantastic idea. What a simple but absolutely effective idea. It's absolutely brilliant. Thoroughly recommended. Boardgamearena.com. If you have any love for any kind of tabletop games, head over there and set up a free account and have a browse. Okay. So my neat thing is this week it's a, it's a book that I'm reading. It's called Visions Deferred. Um, as you know, I'm a huge uh, fan of I Am Legend. I I don't think there has been a complete interpretation of the, the amazing book that Richard Matheson wrote. Um, every film that's been made has touched on something and brings something new to it, uh, but seems to miss out in, in, in other ways. So uh, right back to the Vincent Price, uh, Last Man on Earth, which I think is the closest to, uh, to, to Matheson's book. Yeah. Um, he was involved in the screenplay and it was going to be set up as a, Harif, uh, as a Hammer film, which would have been amazing. But uh, due to issues, uh, it was rewritten. He went with a pseudonym and it was made in Italy with Vincent Price in the lead role. But I think that's the closest. Of course, there was Omega Man uh, with Charlton Heston, which again, um, there are some, some parts of it which are absolutely fantastic and, and spot on. But it's not. I Am Legend. And then, of course, brings us to uh, to Will Smith's I Am Legend, which for the first half of the movie is, is absolutely a, a, amazing. It's a fantastic film, but sort of loses its way in the second half. And you could even throw in I Am Omega, which was a, a cheapy ripoff, which, which played with a, a, a similar sort of thing. So Visions Deferred uh, are three unused scripts by Richard Matheson and his script of um, I Am Legend, which um, was unused. It's, it's just so well worth reading if you're a fan of it to see how he would have tackled his own work. Interestingly enough, I think it's still not the best version we can see, which I don't know whether that's because of the, the era that, that it was written in, that it's in the 50s. Um, it still kind of misses the mark a little bit, even though it's Matheson's own work. But it's a, it's a great read if you're a fan of, of, of Matheson, a, a fan of I Am Legend. And I, I can't tell you yet which the other two scripts are because I've not read them, but I will do very soon. Uh, and that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. I couldn't do the show because I need the man on the other end of this mic, Mr. Andy Meekin. And we'll hopefully, as I said, see you next week. And uh, just before I go, after all, a lot of people are going to think we are a shocking pair. Shocking pair.